0: Welcome to the P Primo Show. It is episode 151. We are here with Lee Salts, building a company that wins today. Before we do that, let's pay the bills really quickly. If you have not bought my book, sell a million, go to Amazon and buy it right now. 101 tips for furniture and mattress stores to sell another million dollars or more this year. And we would be talking about 2024. So, I want to thank Steve and Greg for their sponsorship of the show. And if you are in the mattress industry, we want you to join the group, Mattress Industry Network Group. If you want to learn how to market, sell, build, and succeed in the mattress industry, this is your group. It is a group of uh, of retailers, of manufacturers. It's a great place to network. Hit that QR code right there and join the group and say hi to me. I'm glad to uh, answer questions there. Or if you buy the book, call me at 419-560-3169. I'll help you up to a half an hour free consultant call, help you implement anything in the book that you want to. And without further ado, let's introduce my friend, Lee Salt, the author of Higher Right, Higher Profits. You've got to get this book. Sales Differentiation, another great book. All my rep friends, you absolutely got to get this book. Hey, Tim McDonald and Sell Different, all new by Lee B. Salts. And we're not talking about those books today because we've got a lot on our plate. Um, Hey, Tim McDonald in Oregon, thank you for being here, brother. I am ready to rock and roll too. Lee, I've been dying to ask you a question for a long time. Uh-oh. No, it's 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 a it's a really good one. You know, I'm I'm a little jealous because you know you're a sales expert and you're a business expert, and and you go deep with your clients and really kind of get into their businesses and you learn a lot of things about a lot of different businesses, big businesses, medium-sized business, and maybe a few smaller businesses that have the wherewithal and the vision to hire somebody with your kind of expertise. Here's my question. Are you seeing some common themes that lead to higher sales performance and also the reverse? Some common themes that lead to lower sales performance that you could
1: share with us? Pete, you had me nervous. I had no idea where you were going with that opening. (laughs) I really didn't. But I do have to ask you, you know, because obviously your expertise is the mattress space. Yeah. So if we do a really good job today, does that mean we put our audience to sleep? (laughs) I'm just wondering, it's the mattress space. Isn't that the real test? Uh,
0: I I guess if our customers, if our dealers put their customers to
1: sleep right in the showroom, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. (laughs) We've made them comfortable. Yeah. But actually, you know what, Pete? I think today we're going to make people pretty uncomfortable. Good. And it really starts with the question that you've asked me around trends that I'm seeing. And I could summarize it best. A CEO client of mine has this brilliant line, so I can't take credit for this. He says, there's a business that happens to us and the business we make happen. And business owners, executives, sales leaders oftentimes can't tell the difference. So when there's economic tailwinds and sales results are wonderful, we develop this false sense of security. We become complacent with the sales organization, and we don't recognize the need for strategy and process. Then it happens. We hit economic headwinds, results aren't where we want them to be, and we panic. And it becomes painfully apparent that the sales organization lacks the framework to produce the results that everybody's looking for. And that is across all industries. And that's a conversation I have all day long with, with executives frustrated saying, I don't understand there's this wonderful opportunity out there where the economy was really good. We did good. Then it slipped a little bit and now we're awful. We can't sell anything. So do did my, did my salespeople all of a sudden forget how to sell? Is that what happened? That's that's the conversation every hour in the hour I'm having. And you can name an industry and I'm having it. It happened in our industry, Lee, uh, big right. time. Uh, it got
0: to the point, well, I mean, there were there uh, there were, th- there were concerns about even having the reps in the stores, let alone training. But the reality is business was so good that they didn't want any more business. They couldn't mm-hmm. do any more business. Right. So why train the salespeople to sell more when mm-hmm. you're already selling too much? I can't even deliver what I've got. Yeah. That's not the case anymore and hasn't been the case all year long. Yeah. So, uh, everybody is starting to look at their strategy, look at their process. Mm-hmm. Many, unfortunately, Lee, are not even familiar with the idea of a framework and they don't work from a framework because right. a lot of them came from sales. Mm-hmm. And they were just great salespeople. I mean, charismatic, charismatic. Yeah. Super talented salespeople that did great at a bigger store, mm-hmm. and now they're learning how to be a businessman or a businesswoman yeah. and get s- traffic into the store. And of course, they're great salespeople. Um, so it's it's very interesting, and and this need for a framework is so huge. And it, you know, going back to the fact that a lot of these especially first-generation businesses, mm-hmm. they're superstar salespeople. And right. superstar salespeople, as Mike Weinberger selfishly productive. They have a lot of great things about them that make them a unicorn in sales, yeah. but actually makes them not a good manager and certainly not mm-hmm. a good business owner,
1: which is a whole nother level, right? Well, and you just hit upon one of the big issues that companies face... They had this vision of what I call disciple selling. We're going to take our top salesperson, put six salespeople underneath them. We're going to call them manager, and we're going to get six times the sales. Pete, it is impossible to promote a salesperson into sales management. It's impossible. You cannot promote someone into it. Because a promotion means it's an elevation. That's not what sales management is. It's a job change. Hiring, onboarding, compensating salespeople. You don't do that when you're carrying a bag. And executives fail to recognize that. So they have this disciple-selling vision, kind of salivating a little bit as as they envision this person having six times the sales underneath them, waving the magic wand, and of course that doesn't happen. It's a job change. And so when we move someone into that role, we have to recognize That they don't have the knowledge and skill set of a sales manager, a sales leader, and we've got to get them that if they're going to be successful. Give them books to read. You mentioned Mike Weinberg. He just had a a new book come out, which is fantastic. But there's so much information out there. There's training programs out there. We have to help that top salesperson succeed and succeed quickly when we move them into that role of a sales manager.
0: So... I'm dying to ask you another question. Hey, Uh-oh. Guy Danes, <laughs> Guy and Kyle both. Great to be here, Pete. I listen. I'm gr- I'm glad you're here because I'm just thankful you don't have a brownout, guys. Uh, you know South Africa's notorious for their brownouts. Ah, I did not know that. Yes, are those listening connected with Lee on LinkedIn? If they're not, they should be because Lee's Lee special, rarefied air. So. Getting back into this thing, yeah. you 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 uh, sent me a link and you said, mm. Pete, you know, I'd like you to take this and, you know, I think it'd be helpful, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, And I promised you like six times and I finally did it. And I only did it to get you off of my back and to be able to truthfully <laughs> say, so to, to be able to truthfully say, Lee, I did it. But here's what I found out. Mm-hmm. What I found out is that selling throughout the 41 years in my career has changed dramatically. Mm. And the support that we as salespeople are getting from factories has diminished. It hasn't elevated, it hasn't gotten better. It breaks my heart to tell you this, Lee. I'm like, we used to have like a roadmap, we used to. Now there's nothing. It's like, here's a priceless. Good luck. God bless you. And it's like, they wonder why some succeed and some don't. And it's really the dynamics. Everything has changed. Yes. That came out of this, but something really came out that was really huge for me. What's that? And that is me and my business partner, my wife, Mm -hmm.
1: need to- You mean the boss. Let's, let's, Let's correct the language. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, Jenny, my boss, hundred percent. I understand. I understand it. Um, my boss and my true sales manager. Um, we needed to create a framework. We mm-hmm. need to create more structure. So this is what happened in my career. Lee, I. You know, I was a VP of sales and and, mm-hmm. and and all that. Then I was a key account rep and all that. And then I was hired as an independent rep, which means you are now you're a ten ninety-nine rep. Right. You own your own company. You pay mm-hmm. your own taxes. You pay your own expenses. God bless you. Good luck. Well, your perspective and, shifts when that happened, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You start playing for real. Um, there's there's no more cruising. It's just foot on the pedal and let's go. That's it. And I started off with one company. Now I represent six companies. I rep- I, I started off with one state. Now I have six, seven states. And I've got six companies, seven states, five salespeople. And so this start now, Pete, it, I want to make sure you don't have the state of confusion. Yeah. <laughs> just making sure. Yeah. It's the only one I don't know that, that I don't have for sure, but I definitely, um, this was not planned. Like this migration that happened in this business that I ended up developing. Mm-hmm. Lee, I was born to a family of GE workers. I was going to work at GE the rest of my life. Yeah. And, and, you know, luckily kind of broke that and I've been very blessed and very lucky, but I, of all people, n- realize when I finish this assessment, and Chris, I'd love you to pull that up. I'd love you to pull that link up so that anybody that's on this uh, call could could pull this up because I'm going to tell you something about this. You are going to learn so much about yourself You learn so much about your business that just the taking of it is going to make you better unless you're blind, deaf, and dumb. And then I can't help you. But (laughs) I kept saying to myself, Lee, I always thought of you as a sales guy and you are so much more than just a sales guy. You're very kind. Thank you. To put this thing together the way that you did, what drove this? What what made you create this? Because this, I, I'm looking at this, and this was not created overnight. This was yeah. created with over a period of, of years yes. of experience was poured into this. Mm-hmm. And I, what drove it? Why did you
1: do this? So let me back up a, a couple of steps if I could. Go ahead. Yeah. So... Many years ago, I had this client <clears throat> and the owner would call me nights, weekends, whenever a salesperson resigned. It was catastrophic to the business. Just sheer panic would set in. And the reason for that is they were people based, not process based. So when they're different vertical markets, the results look like an EKG report. I could see looking at the revenue. When someone left and when a new person came in, good luck growing a business when that happens. And they're in an industry that has high turnover. So the question the owner of the business asked me is, how do we reduce the turnover? And I said, what if I told you you can't? Look across the industry. Turnover is going to happen. But what if we shift the approach? Instead of being people-based, let's develop a framework for each vertical market you serve, so that as people come and go, because it's gonna happen, the new person comes in and picks up where the prior person left off. And that's exactly what we did. And those phone calls went away, and the results, instead of doing this, went like this. Mm -hmm. So, as you know, Pete, I'm a sales contrarian, and one of my expressions is, like your salespeople, love your process. I'm not advocating for being mean to your salespeople. But what I'm saying is, when you look at successful sales organizations, they are founded in process, not people. They, there's a framework that is in place that as salespeople come and go, there's a way to onboard someone into that role, help them to understand the positioning strategy, how to handle discovery meetings, how to handle a presentation the markets they serve, and everything else that they need to master so that results through this, you don't have the constant churning. So this assessment tool, by the way, if you're a salesperson, this is not a tool that you're accustomed to seeing. Most assessments that are out there are written for the salesperson or designed for the salesperson, and it answers one question. Can you sell or not? That's not what this is. This assessment tool was 10 years in the making, and I used to ask the questions that are in the assessment tool manually. I had a Word document, did different variations of it, but I'd ask these questions of prospective clients to understand before they signed on with me what the landscape was, what they had in place, what they didn't have. So I call this a sales organization maturity assessment, and this is intended for business owners, executives, and sales leaders to take. And the answer that you're going to get from this assessment is for one question. Have we built the sales organization framework that can produce the results we want? That's the fundamental answer you're going to get at the end of this assessment. Now, I'm sure one of the questions everyone's wondering is, how much is it? There is no fee, but there is an investment. What does that mean? Sounds like sales speak. It's not. It won't cost you anything from a monetary perspective to do it, but it is going to take you a 10 to 15 minute investment to complete it. That's if you want that answer. So 10 years in the making and the website is assessmysales.com, 10 to 15 minutes and you're going to get the answer you need. That'll tell you if you built the sales organization framework, that can produce the results that you want. Now, Pete, you went through it. Did you get the answer?
0: I got the answer that I need a lot of work. <laughs> okay, my Fair. my company needs a lot of work, and uh, you know it, it was very, it it was very sobering uh, to juxtapose two different things: the fact that I'm not getting the support from my uh, vendors that we used to get. I thought you were going to say you're not getting the support from your boss. No, no, <laughs> not where I'm going. To what kind of support am I giving my salespeople? Mm-hmm. And it was very stark. And I, yeah. I realized there's a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, can you pull that question up from my friend in South Africa? Uh, Lee, your assessment tool... Does it have as its foundation the length of time reps are have been at the company?
1: Thanks, Kyle. Um, it's not an assessment of the people. It doesn't matter how long your people have been there. This is an assessment of what you've built. So it looks at six different categories: new client acquisition, account management, sales management, hiring, onboarding, and compensation. So you get a score for each one of those six as well as an overall assessment score. And the assessment score is probably not something you've seen either. You may have noticed when this was pulled up on screen, it's called the sales organization maturity assessment. There's three expressions that are commonly used to describe a sales organization, sales department, sales team, and sales force. I don't look at those as synonyms. I look at those as stages in the maturation process for a sales organization. So we start with the sales department, the elementary stage. We hire a couple of people we hope for the best. Over time, hopefully with management guidance, we get to the sales team level. That's where we start to understand some best practices. There's some communication that takes place. But it's still left to the individuals to decide which ones and how they're going to sell. The holy grail, the goal, if you will, is to reach the Salesforce stage, the expert level, where for each one of those six, the foundation is in process. And Pete, we can get into specifics in each one of those six, if you'd like, of what the difference is between a sales department and a Salesforce. But when we look at performance of sales organizations, when you're at the Salesforce stage, that's when you fully optimize performance. That's when you get to maximize revenue, see the highest conversion rates, the lowest turnover right. on your sales team, and have a great morale among your your people.
0: Patrick Tinney from Oh, Canada. my buddy, Pat. hey Pat, thanks good for good joining morning, today. Pat. Great assessment tool, Lee.
1: How many sales pe- How many people have completed it so far? We went live about 6 weeks ago and we're just over 250 that have that have taken it. And the most common feedback that I've received again across all different industries I didn't realize I was missing that. I had blinders on. That's been the most common feedback that I've been hearing about this tool. Yeah, it's
0: it's actually painful.
1: It's Yeah, I mean you've got you have to go in it's, very it's candid revealing. and say and, and, I'm looking to take it on the chin. I mean I I'm, I'm going I want the answer to this question. No one in the world is going to know that you're that you're taking the assessment and providing these candid responses and then you get this report. And the report does two things as you saw Pete. Not only does it tell you where you are in that maturity spectrum, but it tells you things to do to advance, how to get to that next level of performance. The other thing is not only am I not charging for the assessment, I'm conducting uh, complimentary consultations. So in other words, if you want to review your results, you'll see when you see the report, there's a little button there that you can click and schedule a time with me, and I'll, I'll help you to understand what's there and the things that you can do to move through that maturation process.
0: Yes, Pat, that's what I said too. Wow, 250, that's, uh, that's really good. So what what was different from the you've got had 250 people complete this lead mm-hmm. what was different from what your expectations
1: were um i think sales leaders are a little hard on themselves cuz a lot of them receive failing scor- scores across the board sales department and in- all six of those categories. And the business probably wouldn't exist today if that was really the case. Right. So I think they've been a little bit a little bit hard on themselves. But I appreciate their the candor going through it because if you want to exaggerate this and make it sound like you're doing better than you are, the only person you're hurting is yourself. Actually, that's, your, that's not true. You're hurting your salespeople because if you don't have the recognition that there's work to be done and be willing to take the steps then you are hurting the people that that are counting on you for that support.
0: Yeah, and that is huge. I think a lot of what drives uh, business owners later in their career is the idea that people are relying on you uh, to make. and Can we plug that website address one more, please? Yes, Tim McDonald.
1: Um, assess, it's assessmysales.com right there on the screen.
0: Yeah, this is this is great for for anybody. It's just it's a great tool, and uh, it, it's it's as you take it, you'll start to see some things mm-hmm. uh, right away. Um, so, you think people are being
1: a little too hard on themselves at times? I think a little bit they can be. Yep, I haven't seen anyone come through that got it is across the board in everything. So I didn't I haven't had anybody come through and, and with blinders and saying, "Oh, I'm just perfect. There's nothing for me to do." Because there is no perfect sales organization out there. There's always opportunities for improvement. Of course. But at the same time, some of them have just been brutal. And then when I had the consultation with them, they recognized, "Okay, we're not that bad. We have work to do, but we're not as bad
0: as as the way we scored." I, I think what you said is 100% right, Lee. If they were that bad, they wouldn't be in business. Exactly. Um, Guy Danes. Lee, do you think sales coaches bash sales leaders too much? Well, that'll be it. The last question of the day. <laughs> Lee, take it away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I will put myself in the bucket of a sales coach. And I spend more time talking sales leaders off the ledge than putting them on it, if that makes sense. Um, If you go in with the objective of beating up your clients, you're not accomplishing anything. Just like you don't want sales leaders beating up the salespeople. We want to build them up. We want to help them see that there's opportunities for improvement and empower them with the tools to do something about it. But, We're not talking about you. We're talking about others. I can't speak to what what other people do. I I can only hope that they're not doing that.
0: Okay. Lee, you are such a kind person and a classy person. Patrick Tinney. My buddy, Pat. I think the biggest problem in sales departments right now is benchmarking so that all salespeople speak the same language and use the same philosophy same philosophy to sell and negotiate. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to say the biggest problem. It is definitely on the list, having a, a standard nomenclature, a process, a framework that tells the salespeople this is how you handle each step of the process all the way through negotiation. Now, when I look at negotiation, aka the closing step, and I hate the word closing, when executives reach out to me about concerns with their closing ratio, nine times out of 10, I'll go so far as to say 99 times out of 100, that isn't the issue that they're experiencing. That's a symptom of the issue. The issue is in the initial phase, the discovery phase of the sales process. So you you see those issues at the end when all of a sudden the deal's not coming together, there's all this pushback, and they don't perceive meaningful value in what's being sold. Well, why don't they perceive meaningful value? We do a good job in discovery. And so, again, when you look at that spectrum of sales department, sales team, sales force, a lot of companies out there just say, hey, salespeople, go sell. Go make it happen. You know, have a discovery. You know, you ask really good questions and tell them about our stuff. Yeah. That's when you have a sales department. You know,
0: I was running around uh, delivering Christmas goodies to my stores Mm -hmm. and had to wait for an owner to come back in. And so I was with one of the RSAs Mm -hmm. and she said, can you help me with my closing? I'm good at everything, but my closing just sucks. I need help. (laughs) And I basically said exactly what you said, Lee. I, I said, listen, I said, if you want me to teach you some closes, I can, but I don't think that's time well spent. I think what you need to really evaluate Mm -hmm. is how are you approaching the customer? How are you opening up the dialogue with the customer? Are you completely diagnosing Mm -hmm. all of the problems that the customer has? Are you uncovering every need? Are you really getting to a place where you absolutely have the right bed for them? Mm-hmm. chances are you're not. You're taking a shortcut somewhere and you're not getting the right thing because That's when you right. get the right thing, it's easy. The, the sale takes care of itself. Do we need a few comfortable closes? Yeah, mm-hmm. we do. That fit our personality. But if you really have done everything perfectly, you should be able to ask this. Yep. And a lot of people are going to cringe when I say this what would you like me to do? And they'll say, write it up. <laughs> if you've really done everything perfectly, mm-hmm. they will ask you to write it up. And they'll look yep. at you like you're dumb. Like, what do you think I'm here? Write it yep. up. If you've done everything perfectly. And so, ask him better questions. But back to Pat's question. Mm-hmm. Pat, I'm going to just... And you know this, Pat. You know that negotiation isn't taught the way it should be taught by so many sales uh, teams. It's, It's just not taught. And so there's an ignorance as to terminology, let alone common terminology that we can all agree to. When I went through your book, Pat, I had done everything in your book. Everything. I just didn't know what the names were. I I didn't last 41 years in sales by not being able to close sales, but I didn't know what the names were. I I really didn't. I just kind of muddled along and figured it out and probably got a lot of bumps and bruises and scars that I shouldn't have if I was more
1: properly educated earlier in my career. Right? It's a good point. It's a very good point. Along those lines, Pete, I have a new book in development. It'll be out in 2025. Okay. And in chapter one of the book, like I mentioned before, I'm a sales contrarian. I'm going on a mission to eradicate the expression's discovery and needs analysis. (laughs) I want them wiped off the planet. I want the sales profession to stop using those. The reason is we have a big problem coming back to the, the rep you mentioned earlier in how that first meeting is handled. When we talk to salespeople about discovery, they think about the questions they're going to ask. They think about what they're going to tell them, what they're going to show them. But there's one question that I ask salespeople that stuns them. And the most common response to it is a deafening silence. Pete, you know what that question is? What do they get out of the meeting? You're asking them to invest time with you. What do they get out of it? And you would be amazed how many salespeople Mm. have never even thought about that. And right there, because of how we handle those meetings, we're egocentric when we think about discovery. I got to get in there. I got to qualify. got to ask really good questions. Got to tell them about our stuff. We don't think about what they get out of it. So the word that I want to make universal in the sales world is consultation. If you think about when you've gone to the doctor, why did you go? You went there to become wiser about the circumstance you were in and the opportunities for resolution. Those two things. That's why you go to the doctor, and when you think of that first meeting as a consultation, it's a, its not wordplay. The mindset's different. When you say you're having a consultation today. I better bring something to the table. They have to come away getting something out of it. And one of the reasons why prospecting is so hard, you you try every which way, email, phone calls, everything you can think of, you finally get somebody on the line and they decline the meeting. Because we've done a wonderful job in the sales world of convincing the public that the sole purpose of these meetings is for us. Why would I take a meeting just for you? I have to get something out of it. So, we have to first understand what value they get out of that meeting. And when we're prospecting, we have to be able to convey why that would be time well spent. Wow.
0: And, And this has application in retail sales and it has massive application in B2B sales. So, for my friends who are sales reps out there, you should be able to tell somebody that you don't know, a buyer that you don't know, I would like 15, 20 minutes of your time, but I promise you, you're not going to let me leave because after we spend that 10 to 15 Mm -hmm. minutes of time, you're going to realize that I have a lot of information that you actually need to help make you a better buyer. Mm -hmm. And you're going to want me to stay But all I'm asking for is 10 to 20 minutes of your time. And then I would encourage you to ask really good questions and really, really listen. And please, whatever you do, do not get out your death by PowerPoint. Please, (laughs) please do not do it. I beg you. I beg you. I had a boss. I made him keep his, I I, I said, you can't bring anything in. You're Mm -hmm. not, this meeting isn't for that. Right. This meeting is for us to listen and for us to develop something that's gonna be special for them mm-hmm. and not, you know, beat ourselves on the chest and say, We do this and we do that. There's enough of that. And one of the things that I love um in your books, I think it's in this one, is you should never
1: use the word, we're the best. That's you in know, the other book, Sales Differentiation. That's chapter one. Yeah. You should you should be
0: able to bring the uh, your prospect to a place where they are starting to go, this sounds really, really good, and this might be the best. And mm-hmm. by the time you're done with it, that they go, this is the best, and we're going forward with it without you ever having – sustain yourself by saying that stupid statement because thats sales <laughs> speak. that is what we, that that is regurgitating on ourselves it's just yeah. stupid we do that and we we, we literally look like Willie Loman and if you don't know who Willie Loman is get the book and read the book and or watch the, <laughs> watch the movie really watch the movie yeah do not be Willie Loman you know I don't want to sound like a salesperson a typical, stereotypical salesperson. Here, here's the fundamental truth about me. There you go, Willie Loman. Oh, wow, my Lord. Chris! Great Stone. job by Dustin Hoffman. Chris Stone, you are on a whole nother level, brother. I know. Man, he got it up quick. <laughs> he is on a whole nother level. But You know, I don't want to say or do anything that sounds like a typical salesperson because I don't want to create that kind of resistance. I'm trying to break down the barrier and just be a human being who cares about their business. And guess what? If I can't add value and bring more uh, value than anybody else, I don't want the business. I don't deserve the business and I don't want the business. And, and, And here's the funniest thing. Because I've done that for so many years, I don't need the business. It doesn't matter. I want to help my customers, but I am not desperate, and I do not have what Mark Hunter describes as commission breath. Yes, <laughs> I love when Mark says that. Right? Yeah, because you know you see this character of this desperate salesperson saying these crazy things, and it's like all of our buyers are tired of it. Yep. They, they are literally tired of it. And now,
1: Pete. If, by the way, if you didn't believe that discovery is an egocentric event, let me give you the proof of it. We've told salespeople the way you begin that meeting is by setting an agenda, which sounds like this. What I want to do today, Pete, is ask you some questions about your business, and then I'll tell you about what we have to offer. What I want to do today, rule of thumb, there's only one person in the world who cares what you want. You know who that is, Pete? My wife? Nope, your mother. No one else cares what you want. So when you think about that initial meeting. ruined my life at 63 years old. <laughs> Lee, I was in a good place, man. You just yeah. ruined it for me. Mom is the only one that cares what you want. So imagine starting a meeting like this. Pete, for this to be a great use of your time, what do you want to make sure we talk about here today? You can even back that question up when you're scheduling a meeting, during your prospecting, what do you want to make sure we talk about when we get together? Sales is an open book test. We make it so much harder than it needs to be. And when you ask a question like that, you're demonstrating. Oh. <laughs> Great comments, Pat. We're That's demonstrating. That's what friends are for, just to yep. even a little bit more. So, Pete, right in the first moment, We're demonstrating what they already believe coming in, the meetings for us, what I want to do today. And here's the litmus test if you're truly conducting a consultation instead of a discovery. At the end of the meeting, without your solicitation, they say, you know what? This was a great use of time. Thank you for coming in. Yep. How many of us are hearing that on a frequent basis? Not enough. That should be our goal for every single consultation. I'll back up the truck one step further, Pete. Sure. If you think about that doctor experience, you first come into the doctor's office. You visit with the receptionist, deals with your copay, deals with scheduling, all your insurance stuff, gives you some paperwork to to fill out. Then, when it's your turn, a nurse takes you back, captures your blood pressure gets background on on the injury that you have, height, weight, all that good stuff. It puts this comprehensive chart together for the doctor so that he or she can do a masterful job during the consultation. But that's only a small piece of what prepares that doctor for that experience. You know what the big piece is? The years and years and years of uh, education background that they have. The medical school time where they learned all these different sciences and observed other medical uh, experts and ultimately learned how to conduct a consultation. My younger son is planning on going to medical school and we did the math. He'll probably be 30 when he comes out, when he's ready to start seeing patients on his own. That's a lot of background. And one of the things that the medical profession doesn't allow you to do until you're licensed as a physician. You can't see patients on your own. I wish we had that in sales. Until you've demonstrated a high enough level of mastery that just like in the medical profession, above all, do no harm. Until you've reached that level, a salesperson should not be going out on sales calls by themselves. They're not equipped to do it. They have to demonstrate within the walls of the company that they can perform at that level. So, you have all that because we tell salespeople, you got to do all this background research, you'll know, pre call. Yeah, that's a small piece. The bigger piece is what are you doing every single day? Right. So that you can provide value, meaningful value to every person you meet with. And the answer for too many is not enough. Yeah, that's for sure. Joseph Clay.
0: B to C, how do I convince the customer that a trip to my store is high value for them? How do I give them enough value in the financing phase that they will choose financing?
1: Interesting. So I'm not big on convincing anybody of anything. I'm not trying to convince you to take this assessment. I'm putting some information in front of you, and then you get to decide on your own what you want to do about it. You could just say, hey, Lee and Pete had a fun conversation today, and and that's the end of it. Or you could say, you know what? This really piqued my interest. I, I want to go through that that process. I want to get the answer to that question that Lee talked about. Have we built the sales organization framework that can produce the results that we want? So we talk about convincing someone to come in. My question for you is, why should they? What's in it for them to come into the store? And if you don't have that answer, if it's not flying out of your mouth, that's a big reason why you're having difficulty getting them to come in. And if you if you do understand what those benefits are, why they should come into your store, then work it backwards and say, what can I ask them? What type of open-ended questions can I ask them? So I lead them down a path so that they recognize and they say to me, can I come to your store? totally flips the equation around. So first step is understand why they should and then come up with some open-ended questions that lead them down a path so that they arrive at that conclusion and they ask you if they could come into your store. I I do a lot of work with subject matter experts. And as you know, subject matter experts, they want to get on the soapbox. They want to lecture. My challenge for them is, I know you see it because this is your expertise. Don't tell me what it is. Ask me questions. Lead me down the path so I see exactly what you see without you ever telling me. That's when we're being effective in selling. Because, Pete, no one likes to be lectured. Our kids don't like to be lectured. Adults don't like to be lectured. It's an awful communication medium. But if we ask questions and lead them down the path, it creates a completely different experience.
0: Joe, if if you're wondering what an open-ended question could be, is Mrs. Jones, how are you sleeping? Are you sleeping good? She's not sleeping good. You already know she's not sleeping good. Mm -hmm. Now you do Columbo. Oh. Mm. And just draw her out and let her talk. I'm with Lee on this thing about finance, and I know why you want her to finance. You want to get the average unit selling price as big as it can be uh, so that you can be profitable, but you should also want that ticket to be as big as it could be for a much more important reason, and it may or may not be line up completely, and that is you in today's new world that we live in at the end of the process mrs jones says yes she gets her bed she sleeps on her bed you need three things from her for you to have a business ongoing and you need you have to have a testimonial you have to have a five star online review and you have to get a referral and the only way you get a referral is you you actually do it the old fashioned way and the old fashioned way is you earn the referral and so getting too hung up on finance in, in and of itself I wouldn't do that but what I would do if 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 you can get the information over the phone and you can get Mrs. Jones approved so she knows what she's approved for. A lot of dealers that I do business with, they they get the financing information over the phone before the customer even comes into the store. There are some negatives to that, but we'll save that for another time because I don't want to take up too much time. But Joseph, thank you. Uh, that's a That was a great Two questions, not actually one, and they're <laughs> almost unrelated. Um, Trent, how are you, brother? God bless you. Love that the old-fashioned way. <laughs> Earn a referral. Thank you, Pete Primo. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just get up on my soapbox sometimes. and Nothing wrong with that. that. Stuff. Pat Tinney, Lee and Pete, what, what you gents are talking about now is what I refer to as benchmarking <laughs> I can't keep up with you, Pat. God bless you. Nope. You Need to write. You know what you need to do? That's what you need to do. Right there, five. I I, I literally had to kick, drag you, kicking and screaming to book number four. Now I want to push you for five. It's starting. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't even wait till 2024. You just need to go for it. Lee just got five stars with the CEO, saying, "What a great use of my time today." You, you know. I love contrarians because I am Lee. and good.
1: Pete, can I rock? Cause I know we don't have a lot of time left. I want, I want no. to rock the world a little bit. Rock. Okay. Rock. I don't believe there's an entity called a great salesperson and I can prove it. Shall I? You shall. Okay. How many of these so-called great salespeople when I say great sales for a great track record, polished look, the resumes there, all the credentials. Have you hired and they failed in your company? Mm-hmm. If you believe in great salespeople, then you also must subscribe to one of two of the following, given that failure. Either that salesperson showed up on your doorstep and completely forgot how to sell, or your company is the worst company in history of business to sell for, which is it? It's got to be one of those two because you believe in great salespeople. See, the issue is the placement of the word great. I believe that every sales role is unique. The factors that lead someone to succeed, fail, or underperform are different in every single sales role. So what we should be looking for, and again, this assessment tool brings it out, we should be looking for the right salespeople with the potential to be great in this specific role. So before we can ever look at talent, we need to look at the role and understand the factors that would lead someone to be successful, fail, or underperform in it. And once we understand that, we can adeptly evaluate sales talent, not in search of a great salesperson, but rather the right one that can be successful in this particular role.
0: Mm. So good, Lee. Lee, last couple of minutes are all yours. What would you like to uh what would you like to finish off with uh with the folks?
1: Sure. I'll I'll give you one more nugget. Um one of the aspects that's evaluated in that tool the sales compensation. Pete, I got a question for you. You're only as good as your what sale? Well, infamously, we always say your last sale. Your last sale. That's correct. And that is the way most sales compensation plans are built. You're only as good as your last sale. Now, if you've ever uh, been involved with M&A work, buying or selling a company, you know no one cares about yesterday. They care about tomorrow. Sales leaders, what do we care about? Yesterday is nice. We are focused on tomorrow. That's why we're always looking at pipelines. So when we look at sales compensation. Sales compensation is a tool that we have to affect activity and behavior, not just reward for results. So when we use that tool properly, we're not just rewarding for yesterday. We're driving the activities and behaviors that keep a healthy pipeline and keep us focused on tomorrow as well. Mm. So the expression should be you're only as good as your next next sale. And that's my challenge when you're compensating. When you're putting that sales compensation plan together, do it under the... Premise, you're only as good as your next sale. Tim McDonald, you are
0: special, brother. You take action. That's what I've always loved about you. Oh, thank you. 251 assessments now, buddy.
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much. I hope you found it helpful.
0: Everybody, let's focus on our future success and One of the things that I love in Lee's books is he pokes a little bit of fun at people that compare professional athletes and sales professionals because most sales professionals, retail and wholesale, do not do anywhere close to the kind of training and commitment that professional athletes do. And if we even started to resemble what professional athletes do in terms of their training, their nutrition, the films, the technique, the coaching, the extra coaching, the focus. If we focused like they focused, sales wouldn't have a bad name. Sales
1: would have a great name. Yeah. You know, Pete, there are so many titles in the sales world. But there's one title that no one can give you, and that's sales professional. That's something you earn on your own. Amen. And it's by being insatiable in your search for something every single day that will make you more valuable, more meaningful to your prospects and clients tomorrow.
0: And that includes everybody that watched the show today. You are mm-hmm. insatiable. You are thirsty. You are hungry. You want to get that one golden nugget. And Lee, thank you so much. How do people get a hold of you?
1: Well, you can go to my website, salesarchitects.com. That's plural, A-R-C-H-I. There it is right on the screen. I don't even have to spell it. Um, If you go through the assessment tool at assessmysales.com. Let's see how fast Chris is. There it is. Um, When you go through the assessment Happy to talk through the results with you and, and help direct you on the best way forward. And those of you who like to pick up the phone, they can call me at 763-416-4321. And no, I did not pay for that phone number. <laughs> People ask me, how would you get that number? I said, I wanted an easy-to-remember number. They said, how's 4321? I'm like, that'll work. Wow, that's
0: amazing. Lee, thank you for taking the time out of a super busy schedule. Uh, oh thank you. Pat, I appreciate thank it. You for your kindness. Uh um yes. I'm sure Lee appreciates your your kind words, Pat. You. you are such a you're just such a blessing to to sales. Yes, Pat. he is. We we love you. We really do. And uh keep uh get get sketching that book. I'm I'm sending you another journal that, that you can start sketching out book number five. Uh this is book seven, I'm on is <laughs> look look like a little child look what he does he says no that's, that's what you said last time i beat you down i won <laughs> you lost and you wrote a great book by the way my friend so lee thank you for being here today i appreciate you so much thank you and uh, please come back in uh, when you're when you're ready to roll out that book we'd love to have you on the show and you whatever we can do to help you get the word out Uh, We need more guys like you uh, sharing the good news about sales and challenging some of the silly things that go on in sales so that we can be uh, true sales professionals. So, Lee, thank you so much. Appreciate you.
1: Thank you, Pete. This was great fun.
0: Sell a million.